he was also sort of down and out and, and didn't know where he was going in life. He said, well, you know, the army will hire us to be musicians. I said, no, they will not. He said, sure they will. Come on here. Let's go down to this recruiting office. So we did. Welcome to another episode of Chic Compass Connection. This podcast will give you a glimpse into the window of the popular Chic Compass magazine, where we feature art, music, design, fashion, dining, and all things chic for the culture-starved audiences of the world. To view our magazine online, visit chiccompass.com. That's C-H-I-C-C-O-M-P-A-S-S dot com. I'm your host, Jamie Hosmer. Let's introduce today's guest. Whitney Phoenix is a master of piano artistry. He studied piano from age eight and spent many of his formative years practicing eight hours a day. Originally from Vermont, Whitney attended the Buxton School, a preparatory boarding school in Williamstown, Massachusetts, and took his formal study at Oberlin Conservatory in Ohio. He left school without a degree, however, as he was disenchanted with his academic study. Searching for direction and meaning, Whitney joined the Marine Corps as a musician. In 1985, Whitney moved to Las Vegas and quickly began playing in nearly every hotel in the city. His solo career began in 1993 with a position at the Imperial Palace Hotel. This led to extensive work at Caesars Palace, MGM Grand, and Bellagio, where Whitney has performed since the hotel's opening in 1998. Whitney Phoenix, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Jamie. Uh, This is great. I'm so glad we're talking. And um, I want to start by talking about a little bit about your childhood. So you started piano, started studying at, at eight years of age. What drew you to the piano? Well, it's, that's kind of interesting, and I had a very unique childhood. I was born in Connecticut. We moved to Vermont when I was four years old. And for some reason, I was always drawn to puzzles, brain teasers, anything that would expand my, my brain capabilities, uh, my cognitive ability, I was never very strong on social uh, interaction and that type of thing, but I I had a quite a party going on inside of my head, <laughs> and uh, codes and ciphers and crossword puzzles and from a very early age. Mm. So, my dad one day brought home a piano from a yard sale. He bought it for $20 and threw it in the corner of the house. (laughs) And I started just experimenting with it. And to me, it was the greatest puzzle that I'd ever encountered. And that holds true to this day, because I'm still trying to figure the darn thing out. (laughs) But uh, I I was just fascinated with it. And I did have an uncle who who was an amateur pianist, and he caught wind of the fact that I was studying piano. And so he uh, sent me a Beethoven sonata in sheet music in the mail. He said, I don't know what you're playing. You know, if you're playing Mary Had a Little Lamb or what, what, what it is you're doing with that piano, he said, but this 
is real music. <laughs> and so the, so he said, this is what you ought to be playing. And did, so that, I had the, did that strike a chord with you when you heard Beethoven? Well, <laughs> pardon the pun. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, well, no, because I, was, I, I had no idea who Beethoven was or any of that stuff. However, uh, I'm just a little kid, right? So I, I was taking lessons from the, the little old lady on the street corner, and I brought that music into my lesson, and the, la- and the teacher said, oh, honey, you, uh, you couldn't possibly do this. It's much too difficult. Okay. Well, that's all I needed to hear. So that was it. I went home. I went home, and and that I think I did even at age whatever it was eight or nine at that point. I think I did put in a good three four hours a day on just one note at a time, trying to figure out what was on that page and put it onto the piano to where. I went back to my lesson the next week and played the first page of the sonata to her. And she said, oh, she said, I'm sorry. I can't teach you anymore. We need to find you another teacher. Wow. So, um, so that's, kind of, uh, that's kind of how it worked out. And also, this uncle of mine, I guess I owe him a lot because he sent me an, a recording, uh, LP album, I guess it was a six uh, LP set of the complete works of Chopin mm. played by Ivan Moravec. Mm. I don't even remember the name. And I would listen to this music and it did something to my soul. It grabbed me so hard. And I mean, I could, as a child, I would sit there and weep in front of this, listening to this music. Oh, wow. And so it really just it just captivated me, and I was in love with it. And I said, "This I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to do." And so I'd say by age ten, uh, my my fate was sealed, if you will. And th- there was nothing else in my future in my own mind but being a pianist and and being able to create that that beauty that. That I was listening to, and so did you start. Uh, you started heavily into obviously studying classical music and playing very much so. Okay, yeah, and that's kind of an interesting story too. First of all, I want to say that I owe my parents a lot because not only did they support my uh, musical pursuit all the way, but for some reason I can't fathom my parents never allowed television in their home ever so uh so that's what i'm saying i had a unique childhood i was not distracted by television programs and and such i'm sure i missed out on a lot but uh did you when you growing up did you ever wish you had a television in the house not so much okay uh no um i read I think I read about a book a day from from age eight to to uh, thirteen or so when oh. I when I went to high school. Wow, what type and, of what type of books would you read? Well, my dad my dad worked with his hands, and he always had one kind of odd job after the next. And he he was he was a marvelous man and capable as can be. And he worked at a local book press for a while. And they made books. And so 
these uh, they would often they'd make a book with the cover upside down okay. or something was wrong with it, uh-huh. right? Yep. That rejects and he, seconds and he would bring these home and we had an entire room full of books. Wow. And this is everything from <clears throat> Rise and Fall of the Third Reich to uh, Jules Verne to to Tom Sawyer to Winnie the Pooh to it. it uh, I had a vast library at my fingertips and so i just pull another book and read wow. it well so that's amazing so so as a child you are you're now you're obsessed with with classical music and literature and and that, so that's a huge part of your childhood right it, it is it is uh and excuse me two seconds that's fantastic that's fantastic i think that uh i think that might be a good uh, a good way for much of our youth today, maybe to spend their time rather than uh, on social media and TV. Uh, yeah, and video games. And video. That's right, <laughs> video games. Oh my goodness. I, uh, that's the that's the thing today. I'll tell you. Um, but uh, so you were asking me about uh, my serious study. Yeah, I think I was probably eleven or. When I was introduced to a husband and wife who lived in Bennington, Vermont, they were college professors. Uh, he was a cello professor, and she was a piano professor at uh, Bennington College. Okay, and they took an interest in me. Uh, I guess they recognized I, I had potential. Mm-hmm. They agreed to take me on as a student. At little or no expense. Wow. And and once again, a, a unique opportunity came my way that every other weekend after school, my mom would drive me 65 miles to these people's home, wow. drop me off at their house and go home, and on Sunday night, come and pick me up. Wow. And that, that was my lesson you were living living with them living with them living with them over the weekend every other weekend for uh about two years man and during and and during those stays uh, i was ostensibly taking piano lessons but i was really taking life lessons and and lessons in in artistic appreciation uh, these particular people, for they uh, they were pretty well known uh, in the in the music uh, in academic circles. Okay, and so they would have people from all over the world come to their home to visit and and sit around the table and talk music and philosophy and art, and I just was exposed to. To something that uh, I would never have experienced any other way. So and, there were there these, were when you were there. So there were a lot of other kids there studying. No, no, uh, there were no there there were no other kids, no other students. We're talking full full grown, uh, successful adults in in the arts. Oh, would come to visit them, and I mean we we might be playing poker until three in the morning or, <laughs> uh, 
you know, it, the the gentleman had an antique shop, and that and he was well known for his his primitive antiques, and so he would he'd get customers from all over the East Coast to his antique shop, and every time a new customer would come, he'd say, "Hey, Whitney boy." Get in there and play that Scriabin for these people, right? <laughs> so, but the the thing I remember the most about them is their joy, the, the absolute joy in music and artistic expression. And it was in everything they did, whether they were cooking or uh, mm. uh, cutting the grass. They, this this joy that they had for life was contagious and, and I picked up on it. Wow. That's amazing. So that's amazing. I think that that's reflected in my playing mm-hmm. to this day. Okay. Wow. So you spent, uh, you spent two or three years with them? I, uh, yeah, about two years, I'd say. Um, and then, then I went away to, to, uh, boarding school okay for high school okay so that you know at that time I, of course i was living in another town at the school and and so my my formal lessons with them were curtailed at that time but, so so then then you say that you went you, you actually had a formal study uh oberlin conservatory and you left without a degree and what I did. What, what happened there you became you became a little uh disenchanted was, with the studies yeah i was a little disillusioned and bec- i think i had a little bit of a over creative mind and okay. so i became let's just say i was an irresponsible teenager mm-hmm. okay and by the, by the time i got to college i was a little bit in a rebellious stage i did not like my piano instructor at all and the school refused to change instructors for me. Mm. The approach that the school took was so different from what I was accustomed to. I was accustomed to approaching music from a standpoint of passion and joy and elation uh, and inspiration. And it seemed like I was surrounded much more with a regimented uh, approach my instructor that they assigned me was this stern German uh, gentleman, and I didn't relate to him at all. It, everything was, bop, 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 action, play that, play, no, you, you play it like this, do this, you know, and I'm, <laughs> wait a minute, what about how, how wonderful and beautiful this phrase is, and, and no, and and practice this scale and this arpeggio and right all these things that to me were very foreign okay. and and they didn't speak to me hmm. and uh, uh, so I I became pretty disenchanted with with what was happening and they the school refused to change my instructor and I had some other issues with with the academic courses I was taking and what have you. And so after two years, I dropped out of school. And at at that time, I had actually actually had met a girl in school and and maybe that was part of it too. And I was infatuated with this young lady. And 
her father uh, had just moved to Chicago to uh, he was he took a job as a vice president of a very prominent bank in Chicago and he and he said to me he said why don't you come in and stay with me for a little while okay after I dropped out of school uh, and and so I did but so so you go and stay with your girlfriend's father. Yeah. And and how do you how do you make the decision to join the Marines? Basically, as I said, I was a, a ship without a sail and sort of looking for for meaning and direction. And I met a guy that played saxophone. We became friends and he was also sort of down and out and, and didn't know where he was going in life. He said, well, you know, the army will hire us to be musicians. I said, no, they will not. <laughs> he said, sure they will. Come on here. Let's go down to this recruiting office. So we did. And, and a gentleman in, uh, in a magnificent uniform with a white cap and uh, a stripe on his blue trousers came out and boy was he squared away and he said what can i do for you oh we're here to talk to the army about being musicians no no you're not he said you're here to talk to the marine corps he said you got he said you don't want to be in the army the marines are the best there is and let me show you what we have to offer you as a musician and we went in and we were incredibly impressed with the videos that this recruiter showed us and i think we signed up if it wasn't that day it was the next day we signed up to join the marine corps and off we went okay we were very impressed with what he presented to us in the form of video and just describing to us the, the music program in the marine corps and we decided that was way better than what we were doing now and so <laughs> I believe we signed up that very day, if it wasn't the next day. And within two weeks, we were off to boot camp. Wow. And they shaved our heads and this and that. We survived boot camp, and they sent us to the Armed Forces School of Music, which is in Virginia Beach on a Navy base. It's a tri-service school, Army, Navy, and Marine Corps. And the only requisite for us to continue in the music program was to pass the course at the School of Music. Okay. Which, in spite of the fact that my background was strictly in classical music, I had no, I've never even heard big band music or uh, maybe a little bit of pop radio uh, on a transistor radio, but so little that this was a whole new world was opening up for me. Wow. And, but my background was really strong. So I did well at the school. Okay. And I was very excited about what I was learning. And a little bit of touch of jazz and touch of rock and roll and country music and Latin music and these different styles. It just so happened that about the time of my graduation from the school, my instructor was leaving to a duty station in Washington, D.C. And he recommended me to take over as instructor. Wow, okay. So I thought, well, I don't know if I'm 
if, if I'm capable of this or not, but I'm going to do it. I, by, by gum, I'm going to stay here and do this. And I did. And it was a unbelievable ex- experience for me because what I did was I picked the brain of every student that came in because they all had some kind of strength, musical strength, or they wouldn't be in the program. Mm-hmm. So if they were a jazz player or a, a, a rock player, whatever they might be, I would learn from each student and then compile it all in my head and then pass it on to the, to the next. And so, so I spent uh, my time in, in the Marine Corps behind, uh, you know, in my own studio behind a Steinway piano. Wow. And what greater position could I have in the U.S. military? I think uh, my only regret is that I got out. <laughs> I, I, I could have stayed in. The musicians, the musicianship of the, the military players, extremely high. Right. And it, had I stayed in, I would have been, I'd say, probably retired for 25 years now collecting a pension. Right. But you stayed in, you stayed in what, four or five years in the Marines? Four years. Four years only. I got out and I said, I'm going to California to seek my fame and fortune. And Ah, of course. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can only imagine how how that worked out. Well, you know what? Well, let's fast forward a little bit and let's talk about your move to Las Vegas and how that happened. My my California experience was not particularly I don't know enlightening or uh, okay. noteworthy. Okay, and of course playing playing in bands in the beach clubs and whatever, I was exposed to a little bit of unhealthy lifestyle. Okay, and I recognized that and said, you know, I need to break away from this. So I joined a. The, I'm gonna I'm gonna say like the Partridge family. It was a family, very very clean cut, and all health food and and anyway the, there were three three boys that were in the band itself. But mom and dad and the other two kids were along for the ride, and I just drove around the country with them. And one of my buddies from the school of music, the uh, in the Marine Corps was in Vegas. And how he got a hold of me, I can't remember to this day, but mm. somehow he got a hold of me okay. and said, we just lost our keyboard player in, in our band and we need you. How fast can you get here? <laughs> and I said, okay. I said, I, I can be there in two weeks. Okay. So I moved to Vegas and uh, I actually, I was actually on the road with my now ex-wife okay. and 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 my son and i just moved us all to vegas and that was i think it was 1986 i always get confused okay if it was 85 85 or 86 but i moved there to work in a lounge band with a lady named janine marie who was kind of the queen of the lounge singers at that time she's a powerhouse singer uh she's since passed away Unfortunately, we mm-hmm. lost a great. Yep. And but at the time, we worked really hard. Uh, we took we took the music seriously, and really uh, honed our craft, and took a lot of pride on stage. 
and traveled sometimes to Atlantic City when when it was a little slow in Vegas. But we worked all the time. Okay. And I really enjoyed working with her. I think it was with her three years. And since then, I've been in a couple of other very, uh, very uh, good, viable lounge bands. Of course, this was back in the day when every hotel had a lounge, and right. some of them had three bands a day. Right. So, so you guys were, would you, you guys would move all around and play. You played all around the city, practically every hotel. Um, it, yeah, it was uh, it was a bit of a different time than it is now. Very much so, and uh, there was there was a camaraderie between the the different bands. Uh, it, there wasn't any competition. If if you got done with your gig at at nine p.m. or or whatever, you you go out and support another band because right. that's just the way we were. Yeah, and yeah, that. Yeah, that uh, that life in Vegas is over. It's it, I hope it'll come back, but right, it's things have changed a lot. So, so how and, do you go? How do you go from uh, being in bands and being in lounge to go to be a solo pianist, which well, really is kind of full circle, right? Kind of how you started your whole life. Yeah, very much so. That's true. And there was one step. Uh, 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 stepping stone in that journey, which is I met my wife, Marianne. Uh-huh. Yeah, we should talk about that because uh, for our listeners to understand that your wife, Marianne, is is a, an incredible talent in her own right. So how did you meet her? She was she had just moved to town for the second time. Uh, her first her first experience in Vegas was working with Wayne Newton which she, I think, was here uh, with Wayne for a year or a little more. And she's a California girl. Okay. And so she went back to California after that and then came back and was working with Debbie Reynolds mm. when Debbie was opening her hotel. Mm. And uh, and w- one of our other Las Vegas greats, Joe Darrow, who's a pianist and, and vocalist, Yep was playing for Debbie at the time and he uh, Marianne asked Joe if he knew anyone that could write her charts or she wanted to, to start working in the lounges and she wanted to have a book so so she could put a band together yep and Joe said I know just the, the guy Whitney Phoenix okay so I met her she presented me with a tape of her, uh, the songs that she wanted me to chart. And she said, number four and number seven is me singing on, on the on the track. So I'm listening to these songs. I get to number four and number seven, and this voice comes out that's sounds so much better than the, than the professional uh, recordings I was listening to. Huh. I said, wait a minute, who is this woman? Right. Mm. So I started calling her on the phone uh, and find any excuse to to ask her something about the arrangement. But really, I just wanted to hear her voice and talk to her. And so whereas she hired me to to do these arrangements, uh, I think at some point she ran out of money. And so 
we ended up making other arrangements. Okay. And we got married. Okay. And we did work. We did work the lounges for a few years as a duo, mm. and once once in a while with the bass player. And and that was uh, that was a great a, a great time for us. We had a good time, and she's a magnificent artist. Yep. And a comedian. Yep. Multi talented. Multi talented. But, but it came along an opportunity. It happened to be a, at the time was the Imperial Palace approached me to uh, play solo piano at uh, in their uh, mm -hmm. dining plaza on the fifth floor. Okay. And so I took a look at the idea, and it was steady work. We didn't have to. You know, we didn't have to fight to get jobs, and the solo work paid as much as the duo work that I was already right, doing. Right, And I said, you know, I'm going to give this a try. So I did. I ended up, I worked there for five years. And we should, uh, we should note that the Imperial Palace uh, is now called The Link. Right. It is now The Link. And mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, if you come to Vegas and you go to The Link... That's actually where Whitney started his solo piano career in, in Vegas. So how, how different is that playing solo piano versus playing in a band in Vegas or playing in a band anywhere? Well, for one thing, I don't have to drive a van and haul <laughs> equipment around. That's right. So, uh, you know, I really miss the, the interaction with other musicians. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I don't miss the uh, the pitfalls, uh, the challenges with you know people. Uh, people have personal problems, and and yeah. you know there there's yeah there's certain things associated with the music business that you have to kind of deal with. And if you're playing solo, it's just you. You show up. And I just show up. I open the piano and I and I play and I go home. Right. And and it's uh, because of my background as a as a pianist originally. I'm kind of like like you said, coming full circle. I'm back, sort of back on my own home turf. Yeah, and I was gonna say it's kind of thing. Yeah, it's gotta yeah. feel like like at home, right? You sitting yeah, at a piano. Really and and you've so you've been actually uh, playing at the Bellagio since that hotel opened, nineteen ninety eight, right? Right. I'm um, in my twenty third year. Twenty five years at the Bellagio. It's really really incredible. So, um, and you've recorded six albums, right? Yes, uh, two of which I, uh, I recorded with my wife. Okay. And we did a Christmas album together. And we also, uh, uh, she recorded an album of her own called Lullabies and Other Love Songs, okay. which she dedicated to her family. Uh, each song is dedicated to a family member for a particular reason. And uh, and they're marvelous. And uh, yes, I have, I think I have four solo piano albums at this point. And those are available through your website or through Amazon or where can people find those? Well, I have some, some of my music is up on iTunes. Okay. And I'm working on trying to get, get everything, uh, established 
for streaming and, and okay. you know, all that. But I'm a little behind the eight ball because uh, I just I just get caught up in in yeah. my day to day life and this and that and uh, yeah. and uh, we have three grandsons that live here in town and they keep you busy, I bet. Yeah, they they do, and they're they're more athletes, I think, than than musicians. However, the oldest grandson has out of the blue. He's ex- expressed this interest in being a rapper. Oh, and so he's writing his own raps, and and I'm helping him out by recording him. And nice, <laughs> it, it's kind of fun. Oh, yeah, that's great. So, so Whitney, take us through a typical shift at the Bellagio when you show up and sit down at the piano. How, how does your set work? Do you have some some things planned out? Are you taking requests? Are you interacting with people sitting there? How does it work? Uh, I'm I'm completely without a, uh, a format of any kind. I just sit down and I I kind of feel the vibe in the room, take a look around, and I just play what I think those people might like to hear that day. And it's totally up to me. Uh, there's there's no restrictions on what I play. Sometimes I'm playing a classical piece. Uh, sometimes I'll be playing Elton John or uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Led Zeppelin or Rolling Stones or it. You know, a Got little it. of this and a little of that. I take requests all the time. Okay. And I definitely interact with the people. They're sitting very close to the piano. And I always make sure I greet everyone, make them feel welcome, find out what you know, what are their musical likes, and and I cater to them personally. And I think that's my job is to make the people happy. That's and that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, that's my mission. Yeah, and I've also had the the uh, honor of playing for some uh, a handful of celebrities. Uh, in the early early days of the Bellagio, Barbara Walters came in often. She for some oh, reason wow. she liked that room. Wow! And oh, I met Dog the Bounty Hunter there, and <laughs> he he became my buddy. He would always look me up when he came to town. <laughs> Nicholas Cage is is a uh, frequent guest. Okay. George Strait when George when George oh. plays wow. in Vegas, he comes in. Nice. Uh, met Winona Judd there. Yeah. Oh. And Andrew Lloyd Webber was there one day, but he went and hid in the back. Huh. And uh, he, I think he didn't want to be recognized. Okay. And, but uh, but yeah. I got word that he was there. Wow. And I, I, I kind of did him a favor, and, and, and I, didn't, I didn't play any of his music while he was there. Cause okay. I, you know, I thought well, it might make him uncomfortable to have to be listening to someone's interpretation while he was having a conversation. And also I knew he didn't want to be recognized. Is, so. is, is there anybody that, that has ever come in or anybody that you think if they did come in, that you would actually get a little starstruck, starstruck or really excited that this person's there? Well, I'll tell you what, Elton John, Sir Elton John was next door at Caesars with a residency for mm-hmm. For a number of years, and I, 
yes, if he had come in, I would have been indefinitely intimidated. <laughs> but I was just hoping that someday Elton John would come in there and right. that I could play Elton John for Elton John. Yeah. And, he, and maybe he would even sit down and play a song or whatever. Oh. But it, it didn't happen. So, Well, it's such a cool spot over there at the Bellagio. Um, you're, you're right there off the lobby. And so really, you know, I, I can't even imagine the amount of people that have actually, in one way or another, heard you play piano over the last 25 years. It's got to be thousands and thousands of people, maybe oh, more than that, I, I, yeah, millions. Hundreds of thousands of people. <clears throat> That's true. And, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll, our lounge is, uh, our little bar there is, a, is an oasis kind of between the lobby and the casino itself. Right. But if you stand in the lobby, I'm playing the piano directly to you. Right. Uh, and so people, anyone that comes into the building is going to walk past that area yeah. and they're, they're going to hear the music. And sometimes they'll gather at the railing uh, of the bar there and, I don't know, sometimes four to six people deep and listen from yeah. the lobby, just listen to the music. Yeah. Uh, but what I like the most is when the little kids are going by with mom and dad and mom and dad are like, they're thinking about how am I going to get from here to the MGM grand or what am I <laughs> in this? Thing? And the kids are going, mommy, mommy, look, and they're dragging them over to, to, to watch the piano. So I know, I know I'm reaching somebody and, uh, yeah. And that's kind of my, uh, I don't know. That's just always been my, my uh, credo, if you will, is to to touch hearts and and to communicate the joy and the healing power of music to people. Oh, I think and, that's, uh, I think that's beautiful. I think that's the purpose of music. You know, and uh, so hey, anybody that travels to the Bellagio, go and visit Whitney. Whitney, uh, currently, what's your schedule over there? I work Tuesday through Friday. My normal shift is 3 p.m. to 8, which is uh, the before dinner shift. Yep. Except on Wednesday, I start at 8 p.m. and work to midnight. So I do the later shift on Wednesday. Uh, my schedule is always available on WhitneyPhoenix.com. And I would love to see you there. I really would. And Perfect. come on up and say hello. Don't be shy. Yeah. And... And let me play you a song because that that's what I do best. That's so awesome. Whitney Phoenix, thank you so much for, for talking with me. Uh, what a great conversation. And your story is really amazing. So um, I, I know you're going to be playing for years and years to come. And uh, thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you, Jamie. It's been a great pleasure. You have been listening to the Chic Compass Connection podcast. To learn more about Chic Compass magazine, visit chiccompass.com. That's C-H-I-C-C-O-M-P-A-S-S dot com. This is Jamie Hosmer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>